Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. Zafonzo Davies, treble winner, and you're listening to Ranks FC. Welcome to Ranks FC, your favourite football podcast, and this is our Friday Spotlight. Now, the world has been rocked by some sad news, and it felt only right to start this show with an ode to the legend himself, Mr. Diego Maradona. Today, the world feels colder, a darker, sadder place from a grieving sport with tears streaming down its face. We say goodbye to a man who transfixed us all, who transformed the game, mastered the ball. From El Pibe de Oro to the cosmic kite, Words fail to do justice to Diego in flight. And across the world today, they salute his name for a man perhaps the greatest to ever play the game. In Naples, the people wail as flares set streets ablaze. In Buenos Aires, they mourn, grief coursing through their veins. But amid the gnashing of teeth and the deluge of tears, let us be grateful for each of those magical years where a boy from Lanús took the world for a ride through the ups and the downs, the Jekyll and Hyde, with sparkling feet dancing a tune he was writing, celestial, magnificent, effervescent, inviting, the original ballet dancer, the spotlight's child whose instincts were ever razor sharp and wild, the man who turned country Country, from bridesmaid to bride and the only man who could bridge the super classico divide a barca an icon in seville they roared in naples worship that boca adored but he was divine inspiration dios at his best in the beloved stripes of his albi celeste a boy from the bottom who shouldered his team and reminded a nation how good it felt to dream to make that dream reality to touch the sky and give the establishment a shiner a real black eye diego wasn't perfect but that's the perfect part he bled like you or i and upon his sleeve wore his heart he made mistakes he struggled did what you or i would do did the best that he could and to his own self was true he saw the world was going to hand him nothing on a plate so he put in the hard yards taught himself to be a great the path wasn't straight and narrow it was wild and free and curved but he was the hero that we needed and the one that we deserved genius is immortal genius cannot die genius lives forever in the beholder's gentle eye Genius is our eternal, greatest, highest, wildest honour. Genius was Diego Armando Maradona. Oh, shivers, Jack, shivers. Genuinely shivers, that was lovely. Perfect. Well, we lost an icon, and I think more than, than anything else, we lost a, a player who kind of will we'll never genuinely see anything of his like again. And, and Dean, you put it out there yesterday that, you know, the whole element the whole wildness the whole character of Maradona is something that you know this game can never have again you know that that character will not exist ever again there will never be another like this you're not allowed you're literally not allowed to be like Maradona anymore it's, not, it's unacceptable in this world and it, it's a shame that like these characters you know even in is it music or sport or whatever it is these, these people that build their personality and bring it into their art and it's because of social media and everything else the surrounding celebrity these days and how they are under such scrutiny. It, you just can't be allowed to be a normal person as well as a great footballer or whatever it is. And yeah, he had flaws without a doubt, but 
that was part of who he was and that's part of why he was unbelievable to be honest like I'm sure there are footballers out there now who are being held back by the fact that they're trying to be somebody that they're actually not because it's just not seen as professional um it's really difficult these days as a professional footballer I think you know you speak to young players and hear about all the training that they have to go through about how to be a footballer how to be a man I mean if you'd have put Maradona through something like that probably wouldn't have even made it to a World Cup because he just wouldn't have had the interest in it anymore. Um, football is a game that most people p- start playing on the streets or in the park. And it's that joy that you want to keep playing with. And Maradona was able to keep doing that. It's very, very difficult. And we're not going to see it happen again without doubt. Sam, we had a thing in terms of when we used to cover the Europa League and we covered that it clip, I remember, of him doing a warm-up for your UEFA Cup semi-final where everyone else was doing drills and he was genuinely just doing kick-ups on the side and perhaps the first ever viral video, right? But it, it is one of those things that you watch it and it's, it's impossible not to smile. Yeah, so Dean talks about how there can't be a personality in, in football like Maradona anymore. And I'd argue there actually can't also be a player like him because back in his heyday, uh, you know, 70s, 80s, when he was performing, when he was at his peak, Football was very, very different. I mean, we always talk about on this podcast how it's so athletic, uh, how it's so physical, how it's science-driven, how it's medicine-driven, and how the players that we have nowadays are like machines, aren't they? They're Erling Haaland's, all of them. They're they're ridiculous. They're finely tuned. And look, 40 years ago, when Maradona played, they weren't like this at all. He conquered the world basically thanks to just this genius childish talent that he had within himself. He wasn't a physical marvel. No one was like, they were absolutely nowhere near athletically what we are today. He was a totally different breed and we won't see someone like him who was creative genius marvel, but not necessarily the finely tuned athlete and specimen you see today. We won't see anything like that again because football's moved on from him. So it's a real shame that we won't get to see that. Well, it comes in, ties back into that conversation we've had about number 10s being phased out of the game and and the fact that there isn't that much room for like languid players who just create, who are just magic. And and perhaps it's why we hold players who who still leave that joy in our souls, you know, at the, at the highest regard. And you watch, you know, people knock Neymar and that, but you watch Neymar in full flight and he's a delight. You know, you watch him taking players on, you watch him, you know, kind of having fun with it. And 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 similar to Leo Messi, right? You know, we watch Leo take on six or seven players and you think that's it. This is what it was supposed to be. But those things are dying and they, they are, you know, they will become maybe obsolete given the way that the game is starting to go. And that is sad. The other thing that's dead, I think, is, you know, players emerging on a, a World Cup stage. You know, Maradona in 86 and 90, when they can just, they appear on the stage and everybody watches them like, incessantly for for that short period of time and you're watching every match they play and you're like oh my god look at what this guy can do but you haven't seen the rest of his season up to that point we just you just don't get that anymore you see everybody's every touch and you hear about the next big thing you hear about the Soberslai and suddenly you're watching you're hearing about every Champions League goal every every goal that he scores even though you don't really know much about him so if Soberslai suddenly breaks through at the next big tournament well you're not that surprised and you're kind of like yeah but someone like Maradona broke through um, on that world stage. And that was his kind of his, what he became remembered for and how was his breakthrough. I mean, obviously, that's not his breakout moment. He's playing for Argentina at the World Cup. He's had his breakout by then. But for so many people, that's what they remember. Yeah, and that's it, perhaps. And, and the fact that we have such access to global games now. And it's important to remember that there have been very few people who have conquered on two continents. And yet, 
Maradona did. You know, the, you know, when you look at what he was playing on, you look at the pitches he was playing on, you look at the defenders he was playing against. There's always this question, you know, about how when players now play in the modern game compared to a Maradona or going further back a Pele, you know, you look at how the, the, the quality of opposition was obviously lower, but you then have to bear in mind that defenders were allowed to kick lumps out of you with, mm-hmm. with absolutely no retribution. The pitches weren't these carpets we play on today. They were cut up, mashed up pitches. And there's a famous one of him having a training session. I think it's, I think it's in Seville. And he, he basically was like, well, the pitch doesn't work. So we'll have to keep the ball in the air today. And, and it's just like him covered in mud, having a great time and, you know, just enjoying himself. And, I don't know. It's just something about the whole, you know, myth of Maradona that that makes me smile. And, you know, I don't know if there's ever or ever will be a player who changed everything for so many people like this again. I don't think there will be anyone who stands in that, you know, who who completely changed the course of a nation on his own, basically, and and became this like hero to, you know, not just the Argentine people and not just to, to Boca fans, but to Napoli fans and even Barca fans remember his time very fondly. And but it was kind of he took the dreams of people on his shoulders and delivered time and time and time again. And and, and that can't be understated. Mm. The state of him at the last World Cup and people still loved him. Like it was still great. Like, yeah, but I, I want I want my legends to be given giving the finger to people when their country scores an important goal. You know, I want my legends to care. And 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 that's it. And I, I you know the we'll talk with you. The documentary is obviously having its kind of resurgence now, but I would recommend that everyone goes and watches Maradona in Mexico if you have Netflix as well, because it's the most incredible series about just things that you, you don't even expect him taking over. Adorados when when things weren't going their way and and no one really expected it and his kind of love and passion for the game is just absolutely incredible and and, and insurpassable and, and never went away to his dying day and uh, just a, a special man I think in so many ways a special player yes but a special man as well right Dean we will get back to icons I think uh, at some point in the near future but uh, for now we have our own giveaway to uh, to announce and your last one of the week so. I'm going to hand it over to Mr. Competitions to take us on to the next part of this show. Yeah, this is not worthy of following on from Maradona talk, by the way. My competitions are not worthy, but I'll give it a crack. Right, Rank Squad, here we go. The third and final competition of the week. We want you to go into the Ranks FC podcast, wherever it is that you get it, and leave us a review um, you can choose how many stars. I'd prefer it was five, but you can decide how much you think it's worth. Leave a review, screenshot your review, uh, and then post it on your stories, preferably on Instagram. Uh, tag us or on, in. Or on Twitter. If you want to post it on Twitter, you are more than welcome. Tag us in, Rank Squad, Ranks FC, whichever it is on whichever platform, uh, just to make sure we see it. And we will choose a winner next week to win the Rank Squad bundle. The Rank Squad Christmas bundle, I'm going to call it. And what we're going to do, we're each going to pick a prize that goes out to the rank squad. Jack, what are you going to send? I'm going to pick a couple of football books. Yeah, some of my favourites, some of the, the best books I've ever read and, and bundle them together for a, a lucky listener. Sam? Uh, I have an original. There's only one in existence. It's this pen. It's this Ranks FC pen. It's got our old logo on it. My fiance got carried away when we started a business and ordered one without telling me. 
There is only one. Jack and Dean had never seen this until I, now. I've, this is this is genuine news to me. <laughs> I didn't know we had a Rang Squad pen, and I'm one. upset that I haven't got one. Seeing no, as I'm the a, only one that writes anything these days. It's a risk to give it away because presumably in 50 years this will belong in a museum. But yeah. uh, oh, maybe that maybe the history museum will come calling whoever wins this and asks for a, one of the relics of one of the greatest podcasts ever to have hit the airways. But that's going to be my contribution. This very unique gift normally i'd say that's a rubbish gift because a pen is a rubbish gift but considering it's the only one existence i'm gonna i'm gonna stand up for that sam i think that's really cool i'm a bit jealous i might have to enter the competition (laughs) i really want the pen right dj what how are you gonna follow that that's big i am gonna send a signed picture of me oh dear sorry well that also doesn't exist like nobody's ever had one of those either um i've never I've signed stuff actually before, but not a photo of myself and not one that is downstairs in the lounge right now. I'm going to take it out of the photo frame. You're not even going to send the frame? No, I'm not going to send the frame. (laughs) My wife will get annoyed. Taylor will get annoyed. Um, But I'll take it out of the frame. I'll sign it. I might even make it out to the person like like a a real celebrity would do. And I will send them a signed picture of me. You are officially a celebrity. If you have over 30,000 followers on social media... I think they, you're officially defined as a celebrity. Well, I mean, so both, that's a, that's a both, low bar. <laughs> both of you, both of you are. I'm, I'm not quite there yet. Yeah, I definitely um, have not classified myself as a celebrity based on that. But, okay. but yes, you are. You're signing photos of yourself. And yeah, exactly. Um, to, to make up for Dean's, on this platform, thanks God. To make up for Dean's shoddy gift, I will also chuck in a post, a football poster of your choice. You just pick one, and we'll send it off to you as well. That can be part of the bundle. Okay. Um, so yeah, that'd be a nice. That's that's a nice little bundle there. With, with yeah, we do need included. reviews as well. So please do go and do it. Um, we want to get up the charts. We want to be recognised more. We want to have a bit more authority. Um, so go and uh, go and give us a review. Screenshot it. Tag us in. Win yourself that that bundle, which is definitely <laughs> unique. It is very unique. It's um. Yeah, yeah, I, I, it's it's a good bundle because of some of the prizes, and and you also get a signed photo of Dean. So you know, you know <laughs> that could be your thing. You give like your weird uncle at Christmas. Like, I, you know know. Actually, actually, now you say that, I did do this. So, oh no, <laughs> when I was like seventeen, I wrote my first ever match report that went into the Telegraph. Published my first match report when I was sixteen or seventeen, right? So my name in the Telegraph, it was like Hud- it, Fulham played Huddersfield 1-3-1 up the whites. And um, for Christmas, I, I cut out the match report. I didn't know what to get my uncle for Christmas. So I cut it out the newspaper, signed it to John regards Dean Jones. Regards! <laughs> it in a frame. Regards! Stuck it in a frame. <laughs> Did and, you write uh, on the back or the front or over the text? No, over the text. <laughs> <laughs> That does remind oh. me. That reminds me of when we were outside that stadium in in New Jersey, Sam, and we were doing some filming for Bleacher Report. And these two lads came over to us and were like, "Will you sign our shirts?" We were like, "I don't think you want this. Like, this no. isn't this. I don't think. Well, whoever you think we are, we're not. Like, they're like, do you know who we are? They're like, no. But can you sign our shirts? We were like, yeah, I, okay. Really, like, that was super weird. And then I took the pen. And he showed me which part of the shirt he wanted me to sign. And I went to do it and I nearly did my bank card signature because I've never been, I've never actually done this before. So I was like, I started to do my bank school and I was like, don't do that because then you can steal my identity. So then I had to make something up. So I looked over at Jack and I cop- I tried to copy what Jack was doing. It was an absolute farce. So that kid's not even got your signature. No, okay. I didn't copy it. So I didn't put like 
It's just got two of mine. Two of yeah. yours. <laughs> but I was like, well, how are you doing it? Like, what are you doing? Are you doing JC? Are you doing prints? Are you putting a crown on it? Are you putting J- put JC7? Like, what are you doing? I was like trying to copy you. Um, it was really weird. I, I did put a crown on it. It's the uh, I, I got the logo out. So yeah, right. We've we've wasted fifteen minutes. Well, we haven't wasted. We talked. To, we, we've wasted ten minutes. We had a nice five minute conversation about Maradona, and then now it's gone all downhill. Right. Let's talk about Champions League. Sam, what did you watch last night? Enjoy yourself. Yeah, Tuesday uh, watched a bit of Ren Chelsea in the early slate, and then I watched the goal show because I couldn't settle on one single game to watch. This is what I always do. And then on Wednesday, I watched Gladbach absolutely destroy Shakhtar Donetsk. Man, I just can't wrap my head around Shakhtar Donetsk. They're great one week and terrible the next. I have no idea what's going on. Um, and then I watched Bayern Munich versus Salzburg because I saw that our, our good friend Chris Richards was getting a start. I was pretty dismayed, to be honest, to see that it was at left back, although he did move over to right back later on in the game. And then he went off with a hamstring tweak. So it was a real roller coaster. But man, Bayern Salzburg was a game. And this was 3 1 to Bayern. But anybody who watched that game will accept that that scoreline feels very, very wrong. Salzburg were the dominant side for the first 30 minutes, but missed all their chances. And you know how it goes against Bayern when you dominate and miss your chances, you do get stung. But this required Manuel Neuer to be in fantastic form for Bayern to get something out of this game. And they even got a red card at the end as well. Mark Rocker became Mark Rocker, right? Nice, nice. Nice, nice. Like that uh, and like, like he, and, um, he and Leon Goretzka were completely overrun in midfield. They were, they were awful, to be honest with you. Awful. And Javi Martinez came on at the end to try and shore things up. And that didn't really help either. And Salzburg got one back in the end. And Bayern sort of walked away on paper. You think, yeah, 3-1, home win, no worries. They're perfect in the group, played 4-1-4. This was a terrible performance. I, I still don't really know how this happened. So... I don't really have a, a major takeaway from the game other than, well, Bayern got pretty lucky that night and the scoreline doesn't tell the whole story. Obviously, I'm not going to start sort of talking about, oh, Bayern were fortunate and they're on the slide or whatever you want to call it because there's no way that's happening. But they are human. We can say that. Yeah. I mean, our boy Dominic missed a crazy one-on-one in the first half. Desperately oh, sad. Geez. It was Real a miss. Sad. It was a one-on-one miss and then some. It was a what a way to miss a one-on-one. I know that Neuer is a scary figure in goal and he can cast quite the shadow, but my goodness me, did he miss kick this one. Yeah. Very strange from such a technician. Absolutely. DJ, what did you watch? Did you enjoy yourself? Uh, it was all right. I watched um, Group <laughs> H. Group H on Tuesday. Man United, Istanbul, and then PSG v RB Leipzig. Um, I had them on like two screens. And I was focusing on PSG on the main screen because I thought it would be the better game. And then at halftime, I switched it over and just had PSG on the smallest screen I could find. because That was more of a war, wasn't it, than a game of football? Yeah, it was, it was hard to watch, to be honest. Um, but... but- the thing I like most was just seeing what Donny van der Beek's up to. He's he can see him just checking he could still play football, just checking that I wasn't missed anything and that he probably should be in this team. It seems to like to pass the ball around the corner all the time. I think um I think we're gonna be seeing a bit more of Van der Beek now and Cavani actually. I think that that's people saying, Oh, what a waste of time signing these two. I reckon that this is the start of them being like brought into this team and slowly integrated. And I have to say that I think it's the beginning of the end of Anthony Martial as a Man United player as well. Like this, I just don't think that Martial fits at Man United anymore. And there's going to come a point where someone actually offers some money for him and they take it. Um, I think, you know, having Cavani now starting games, let's see more of that. Um, but yeah, it's it was, it was fine. And then last night I watched um, Inter v Real Madrid, which I don't think you two watched. Um, turned into a very strange game into Milan basically didn't turn up um 
Madrid couldn't believe how easy it was, I don't think, to be honest with you. We'll talk about it a bit more later on. But um, yeah, very strange game. Yeah, absolutely. So just, quick, just quickly, Dean, you know I'm previewing Man United versus Southampton this week and quite a lot of that chat will be about Cavani, Martial and everything you just <laughs> talked about. Yeah, well, he saved you a job, so you should be grateful. Um, in, in in slightly weird fashion, last night I, wa- I watched Olympiacos Man City because uh, I knew Sam was covering the bases on, on Gladbach, Donetsk and it looks like I got the short straw on that one. Um, <laughs> City just can't put teams away. It's bizarre. I have no idea what's going on. They were completely and utterly comfortable. And then in the last five minutes, very nearly lost it. Um, Not much happened, to be honest, but it's just like one of those strange things where at the moment City can't find a way to put two or three past teams and they're inching past sides. They're, they're qualified. They're not, they're not going to be too worried about it, but it was, it's a strange thing that's going on there. And you know, the, the only kind of ray of sunshine was, it was nice to see Aguero back and getting some minutes. So, so that was that was something for City held on to. I watched Marseille versus Porto after that, um, which is true Jack style of, of games to pick. Marseille lost their 13th game in a row in the Champions League, which is phenom- uh-huh. phenomenally bad. Um, <laughs> just like really incredibly bad. Obviously, AVB against his old side, the side he took to a UEFA Cup victory, it was at the time. And yeah, it was it was a really odd game. Like Porto kind of went ahead against the run of play. Marseille missed an absolute glut of chances. It's almost like they were trying to lose at points. You genuinely did watch it, being like, "What are they doing?" And and then just as it all kind of turned up Marseille's way, Marco Gruic got sent off for a second yellow. It was bad tackle, um, really bad tackle. Very much deserving maybe of a straight red. Never mind a second yellow. Um, and literally from the free kick that they got, Porto went up the other end. Valerdi just hauled down a player in the box, gave away a penalty, which Oliveira con- contested. Got himself sent off, two, both of them then to 10 men. Porto 2-0 up with 15 minutes to play. Game over. It, that beyond belief. It's like Marseille saw an opening and were like, ah, we hate openings. Let's self-capitulate. And um, <laughs> I, honestly, I, c- I couldn't explain it. Porto were good, though, and shouldn't be overlooked how, how, how impressive their record of getting out of the groups is in the Champions League. Now, this is not you know, something to, you know, go over, overboard with. It's not, you know, they don't won the Champions League, but they constantly progress. And for a team in, you know, one of the so-called, you know, you put Portugal as maybe the sixth or seventh league in Europe. Um, you know, their champions tend to do reasonably well in this competition regularly. And and that's something to to be admired. So fair play to Porto because they uh, they always turn up in the Champions League and the Dragao is a notoriously hard place for, for teams to go. And I think a lot of sides have, have found that in recent history. So, so yeah, that's my, uh, that's my thoughts. Apart from that, I watched Barcelona-Kiev on Tuesday night and Barcelona were absolutely diabolical for 45 minutes and then really good for 45 minutes. Uh, Serginia Dest off the mark, opening his Barca account, which was nice to see. But Brathwaite stretched the line really nicely and then Griezmann came on and played as a second striker where he played for... Atleti and was excellent for 15 minutes in a cameo and Elena and Ricky Pooj got minutes so I was over the moon and nice. um, it was just like really nice to see and the last Barca goal the fourth one Griezmann's goal not only good for for Grizzly obviously to to get himself on the score sheet to blast away some of that bad bad energy that's been going on there recently but also the two passes from Pooj to originally set up Jordi Alba he lays it back Elena splits the defense Jordi Alba knocks it back across and Griezmann finishes it was a a proper La Masia goal 
uh, and which is potentially unsurprising seeing three of the main four of the four components were La Masia players. But, you know, it's just, you know, nice to see Pooj in there. Nice to see Elena in there wearing the six shirt. Love that. Love that. And <laughs> um, and yeah, a good win for Barcelona after a very, very turgid first half. So, um, yeah, good. Three debuts there. Things were things were good for Barcelona. They are better in the Champions League than they are in the league. And with that, let's move on to some previews. <laughs> Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. And Dean, you're going to start us off. Yeah, absolutely. So, Sunday, Chelsea versus Tottenham. Lampard versus Mourinho. Um... Master versus apprentice. I love yeah. this trope. <laughs> All that nonsense. We're going to avoid that talk. It's a real shame there are no fans there for this one, um, because especially if you're the team that's not playing so well, because quite often this match um, does really get um, the fans going and they do turn ties around. Like you've seen both sets of uh, teams literally switch this tie around in terms of their fans just getting behind them. Like, they hate each other. Like I know a lot of our fans are dotted all around the world and might not have been to this fixture. I've been to this fixture a few times, and they hate each other. Yeah, this is um, not a this is not a friendly rivalry. Like this is probably Chelsea's biggest rivalry actually these days. You'd say it's probably yeah. not Tottenham's, but like my Chelsea friends were like before lockdown, we were going to watch this game together, and the group that they'd set up was called Chelsea versus Scum. Like they really don't like Tottenham. They really don't. They really don't. A lot of my friends obviously support Chelsea. And yeah, they they hate them. This is a really tough one to call. I mean, Chelsea have won their last six games, right? And they're, they're looking good. And, you know, Lampard's found a way to, I guess, fix those defensive problems that were there at the start. And we've talked about that before. On the flip of that, Jose Mourinho really, really evolving this Tottenham team. I don't know if you remember, I predicted last week that they would beat Man City and they did exactly that. Um, here but it is. what happens here? What happens? Like, okay, so here's one thing. If the title comes back to London this year, it might do. It's, gonna, it's got to be one of these two, right? So if Liverpool aren't winning the league, if Man City don't win it, it's coming back to London, it's going to be Tottenham or it's going to be Chelsea. I don't want to say that like a game like this can have a bearing on the eventual league table, but it can you, do you a lot. You said that last you. week about Man City Tottenham, so why yeah. stop there? And it can do, but it can do a lot for your belief that you can actually do it, especially if you're Tottenham. I think that there does come a point that's going to be about February time when you can start to consider yourselves in title contention. But the longer you stay there, obviously in and around it, the more belief you're going to get and the more that this Tottenham team is going to believe that the mentality that Mourinho has put on them is genuine that they are actually having their minds altered and that they can do it. So here's the big question for me. How did Chelsea get a grip on Harry Kane and son? How do they stop that combination? I know that Chelsea have been firmer and sterner when it comes to stopping the play in, in front of the defence and N'Golo Kante has been lauded for the way that he's been able to do that. But you saw what Harry Kane and Son's movement did to Man City last week. Kane literally took two steps backwards. Son made a quick run in behind. Both Man City defenders, for some reason, went with Kane. 
as Son was in, got on the end of the, the Ndombele through ball and scored. That's what happens in these split seconds. Like one defender goes, so the other one just goes with him, tries to step up, and you are in big trouble. And that is the capability that Kane and Son have. They've got and such an unbelievable understanding, and they, they just look for that, that trigger, if you like, from the midfield ball that goes over the top. And it's that combination that they've worked on so hard, obviously, Tottenham and third-man runners, that is their big strength. Chelsea, as I said at the start, are coming on leaps and bounds defensively. This is a huge test of just how far they've come. Yeah, I mean, this is this is it, isn't it? We we said about City, but uh, th- these are these are the games that are, are coming thick and fast for Spurs at the moment, and they've dealt with a huge test last week, and now they've got another one right in front of them now, and and you know, off the back of. Uh, a week where both sides will have played in Europe as well. You know, there, there will be rotation, you'd imagine, because these games are, are coming thick and fast. But there is, there's a lot riding on this in terms of not only, obviously, bragging rights and all of the lay, but it is Mourinho versus Lampard. He will not want to be, you know, beaten by a former player who, who looks up to him in terms of where his managerial abilities are. And on top of that, as you say, these are the two sides you'd think from the capital that will want to be in and around that title race. Even if they come up short, this is, you know, two teams who will be in that top four race at, at the very, very least. And that in in mind, it's a huge blow to get one over each other at this stage of the season, Sam. Yeah, as Dean says, the confidence you can take from it would be would be incredible. And, you know, we, we record this before Tottenham play on Thursday night in the Europa League. And I, we haven't seen the team, but you'd imagine Jose probably makes at least 10, if not 11 changes, right? And keeps everyone fresh for this one. Chelsea get to play a couple of days beforehand on the Tuesday against Wren, early kickoff, get it done, qualify for the latter stages. Then you can start to prepare for this game. And it's the Sunday, Sunday afternoon, and it's 4.30. So... Like Chelsea have an extra two days on Tottenham here. So first of all, Mourinho is well aware of that and he's got that in the bag already. So if he loses, that's why. But I actually don't think he's going to lose this game. I think Tottenham are going to win it. Jose is going to be buoyed from getting one over Pep, the old maestro, the old rival. And now he's going to move into the the fresh new week. He's going to get one over his old pupil. Uh, He's going to go the other way. And I'm, I'm going to go for a Tottenham victory. I don't think... I don't think Chelsea are going to be able to handle the Kane-Song combination. I don't think they're going to be able to handle Kane drifting into those spaces, just as City didn't. I don't see how it's any different to really how Man City tried and failed to do it. I just don't see the answer. As good as Kante's been uh, and as good as Chelsea have been, you know, you have to you have to give them the credit. But we've got 2-1 to Tottenham. What do you guys I, think? I think that Chelsea are more resilient than I've potentially given them credit for this year. Um, and I think we've seen over the last games that goal to seal the game against Ren in the 90th minute from Giroud was a literal goal from desire. You know, there's, you know, those ones where Lautaro scored for Argentina through sheer force of will. <laughs> this felt like that, right? It was, it was like the ball was up in the air and I started to saw, I caught, caught Giroud's run out of the corner of my eye. And it was like, well, he's going to win this. He's going to win that header. And there was absolutely no doubt in my mind that the ball was going towards goal. Whether it went in or not, I think was a different question. You know, there was two players on the line. It's an unbelievable header. Like that, that, that more than anything. But the fact that Giroud's kind of been reincorporated into this team, we talked a bit last week about the fact that Tammy and and, and Giroud playing through the middle means that Werner plays off the left, and that's potentially where you get the best of him. And I just think that that Chelsea are more resilient than they have been in a little while. And with Kante back in there, kind of putting things together at the bottom of the midfield, just making things a little bit neater and tidier. 
and, and and those kind of and the kind of calmness I think that Thiago Silva has brought to the back line. I think there is potentially something for Chelsea in his. I'm going to go two all, but I think it's going to get nasty this game, and I and I really hope it does. <laughs> I love it when I love it when Chelsea Spurs games get really horrible, like the Battle yeah. of the Bridge. Well, that's why we miss the fans for a game like this because there's more chance of that happening. I think. I think a draw is what I would go for, to be honest. I think that Mourinho just sets out to not lose games like this. I don't think he will mind if they don't win it, but he would hate to lose it. And I think that, for me, there's still the same problem we talked about there, like Tottenham will score. But I also think Chelsea have more chance of scoring than Man City did last time around. Chelsea are well, scoring. They are scoring a reasonable amount of goals, but also missing quite a lot of chances. For me, that's not actually a, that big a problem. I'd be much more concerned if they were not creating chances. Um, they're going to start going in. and You know, Werner's missed his, his fair share recently. Um, that's not going to continue for that long. Like, they will start going in the net. He's not, he's not you know, these things just happen. Uh, I've seen quite a few people saying, oh, what's going on with Werner, blah, blah, blah. Not, nothing really. Nothing no, but, really. No, but also, he's never just, he's never finished all of his chances. He's never been like, deadly it... accurate. This is what you're seeing from Werner right now is like what we saw at Leipzig. He needs three chances to finish one. He's a high, high volume shooter. Yeah. And I think that that's the thing with Chelsea. They, they do carve open enough chances that I would fancy them to score. I've got to go 1 1 here, I think. 1 all. I'm going to 2 all. And Samuel going 2 1 to Tottenham. 2 1 Spurs. Nice. Mm. Um, okay, all right. Well, what have you got? Those for predictions weekend, are the same against Chelsea, by the way, that are a 13 game unbeaten run, I think. <laughs> no, I'm predicting them to continue their unbeaten yeah. run. Yeah, I know. Nobody's back to Chelsea. That's quite funny. I think, given the it, what's actually in like incredibly important about that is that no one's back Chelsea in a game that they have over the years fundamentally got the better of. Mm. Um, this is a game that Chelsea win more than they lose. Oh, yeah. Um, and the fact that we're giving Tottenham credit and giving Tottenham that kind of uh, backing to to not lose this game, I think, is is probably an, an indictment of how how voracious they look this season and how well hard to beat that Jose's made them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. All right, let's move it on, but not too far. In fact, let's go two and a half hours backwards and stay in the Premier League because I've picked out Southampton versus Manchester United, which is Sunday two p.m. Uh, local time, so nine a.m. Eastern, six a.m. West Coast. Sorry, guys. Uh, 1 a.m. Sydney. I've started to rem- memorize these now. I've started to learn the time zones. This is what yeah, this podcast yeah. is doing for me. Look, I acknowledge the presence of Chelsea Tottenham, but in my opinion, Southampton versus Man United is actually the best game the Premier League has to offer this weekend. I do. I think that the recent record between these two sides when they face each other is quite interesting. And it's a game that Southampton quite often play very well in, but don't win. Probably deserve to half the time, but don't win. And the backdrop to Saints firing Mark Hughes and hiring Ralph Hasenhuttle was in 2018 uh, taking a 2-0 lead against Man United at home and failing to see it out. And that was the last straw. Southampton had been dropping way too many points, performing poorly. Hasenhuttle comes in. To be fair, it's a decision they haven't really looked back from. But in July, they drew 2-2 again at Old Trafford. Saints scored a 95th-minute equaliser to, to prevent themselves from losing a game. They didn't deserve to lose, but they nearly did. They just cannot be trusted in these occasions. So 
I'm expecting something of an open affair. In fact, I would not be surprised if this basically turns into a bit of a shootout because neither of these two teams really want to make it cagey. They both want the space to play in. If it becomes quite open and quite transitional, it will suit both of them. You know, it suits someone like Bruno Fernandes as much as it suits someone like Che Adams, who this, uh, you know, the last few weeks, they've been the difference makers for the respective sides. And something that Dean, you know, touched on early on in the intro where we were talking about the Champions League games we watched, now, Edinson Cavani and whether he starts this game will dramatically change and potentially shape this entire contest because Martial as we know drops in a lot tries to link play it can be valuable but we started to see now with Cavani off the bench off the bench off the bench and finally starting against Istanbul Basak Sahir they're called Dean Istanbul Basak Sahir okay we saw we saw from Cavani what he can offer running off the shoulder off the shoulder in behind twisting turning the movement from this guy is incredible he is elite class with movement and running off the shoulder. And you know what? I know that Vestergaard's been really good this season, but if there is something that you look at on paper when it comes to Southampton and devising where you're going to target, you're going to look at Vestergaard. He might be the slowest player in the league, excepting someone like Wes Morgan or Scott Dan. The slowest real footballer in the league, right? And you'd always target that in behind, in behind. And you know what? It's probably not worth Man United building play through the thirds because... Southampton's press is so finely tuned and so aggressive and so cohesive. It genuinely might be better just to lump it into the channels and have Cavani turn the shoulder of the defence. That might be where they get the most joy. So I'm looking forward to seeing if Solskjaer has the balls to start Cavani for start with, because he's been so careful with him. And I know he played 90 on Tuesday, but that was Tuesday. This is a five day rest and he is one of the fittest players you'll ever see. So I think he'll be fine. And I'll be interested to see if he starts him. And then there's loads of other key battles as well. Alex Tellers versus Carl Walker-Peters is the stamina monster battle. Those two will never, ever, ever stop running. Armstrong drifting into the central positions will be a nightmare for Manchester United. And obviously, they'll just look to Bruno Fernandes at every opportunity to shoot or cross or pass or take a free kick or whatever. And ultimately, what I want to see from United more than anything is some of their other players taking some damn responsibility on the ball. They look to Bruno way too much and when he's on form great but everybody has off days and Bruno has them yeah I mean I, I was interested as to what you thought about how Donny van der Beek is going to be deployed here Sam because there's this kind of strange element to to how he's going to play and I think he's been pushed a little bit deeper than perhaps where he's best you know he actually was was probably best for Ajax as the 10 in a mm. 4 2 3 one you know and 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 that's the kind of position that, that Bruno plays and, and and very much so. And I guess the question is, do United kind of, without a proper six, which they really do lack, you know, can United play Van der Beek and Fernandes together? And and I worry about that. Well, with the situation is exactly the same as it was two months ago when he signed. Yeah, like like yeah. nothing, nothing has changed. And I don't think that Donny van der Beek will play this game. Um, to be honest with you, I, I would I would say that Cavani should and he shouldn't. Like him playing quite deep against Istanbul Basak Zahir doesn't mean that he then goes in and plays a plays a, a an unfamiliar role or, or maybe a, a suboptimal role um, according to his own talent against someone like Southampton, who is like they're a really good team. They're they're fifth in the league and they're three points off top place. Like they're they're really good. You don't start tinkering with that and, and playing Van der Beek in those positions because. One of United's success stories recently has been having a much more functional midfield, you know, playing Fred, playing and then playing him alongside Matic or McTominay and, and giving themselves quite a solid base. So, yeah, if Van der Beek plays, it's that old theory we've got from a couple of weeks ago, which is could he play on the right hand side? And 
ultimately they're playing Juan Mata there at the moment in the league. Van der Beek could absolutely play the Juan Mata wide role, like no question about it. So maybe that's where he steps into this team. But Solskjaer doesn't take that many risks, does he? Like, I, I don't think he's going to drop Mata for this game. I think I would expect something very similar to what we saw against West Bromwich Albion. But if there is an avenue for him to get into the team, it's Mata's spot, isn't it? Yeah, I think it would be very interesting to see if he did go for that, but uh, I'm afraid I don't think that's going to happen. With all that in mind, predict me the scoreline, Sam. So, true to my word, I think it's going to be a shootout. I still don't trust Man- uh, Southampton to to actually get the result that they may in fact deserve, so I'm going to go 3-2 to United. Ooh, that is going to be a goal fest. Dean? Um, I think Solskjaer's due one of his famous uh, defeats. I think that <laughs> Fernandez will score a penalty but Che Adams will decide the game. I'm going 2-1 Southampton. Yeah, I'm going 3-1 Southampton. I also have my, I'm going to put money on a Che Adams hat trick, actually. It's, um, He's been fantastic recently, hasn't he? has hasn't been he? phenomenal. And can he we talk about that pass? That pass over the top for Theo yeah. Walcott, where he didn't uh, score against Wolves, was guess... absolutely majestic. Che yeah, Adams, my fantasy football little dreamboat. Love him. Big, big yeah, love for he, Jay he Adams. My, remember, he was my breakout pick for the start of the season. And uh, it's going well, guys. Yeah. It's going well. He's playing brilliantly. And even in the absence of his, his famed strike partner, he's um, he's doing really well. So shout out to Che Adams. Uh, let me take you on a journey, though. Uh, not only a back a whole day to Saturday, but also onto the continent to get rid of you two Prem faces. Uh, I thought we'd probably <laughs> talk about some games on games in Europe. Uh, and there's loads, loads of good games in Europe this weekend. I have had to skip past Union Berlin versus Frankfurt, which I'm genuinely excited for in the Bundesliga. Napoli play Roma in a sort of third versus fifth shootout and two teams very much in the in the hunt again. And obviously that's at Napoli as well. So it's worth watching, even if just for the pre-game you know, pouring out of emotion about Diego, I think it would be after they uh, announced they're going to be renaming their stadium, the San Paolo, uh, to the Diego Armando Maradona Stadium, which is pretty, uh, pretty incredible, a pretty incredible gesture. And I just saw a thing from Dries Mertens. Uh, obviously, he's now Napoli's all-time top scorer. Uh, his thing this week was like, every time I pull on the shirt, it will be for you. But he was like, if anyone has ever placed my name next to yours, I apologize. I will never be at your level. And I was like, whoa, that's a that's a hell of a statement from a player to make, you know. So fair play to Dries Mertens. Very, very humble this week. Um, also in Spain, Real Sociedad play Villarreal in first versus fourth, which is uh, another good game. So th- there's lots going on, but I'm going to go to Italy for Inter Milan versus Sassuolo. Shock. Which is at three o'clock Italian time, two o'clock UK time, nine o'clock East Coast, six a.m. Sorry, West Coast again. Uh, it's at seven p.m. in Islamabad and five p.m. in Dar es Salaam. Um, and yeah, sorry if we didn't get to you this week, but um, look, this is this is an interesting game because I mean, as you spoke about at the start of the pod, Dean, Inter have been really quite poor and. It's been a really strange couple of weeks for them. Obviously, they got the win against Torino, but they were 2-0 down. And afterwards, Conte came out and was like, we're not a great side. Great sides don't go 2-0 down at home to Torino. And, you know, yes, they got the result. But as much with Torino mucking about with the ball at the back as it was Interzone doing in, in, in some ways, and they were they were lucky. You know, it's not hard, it's hard to say you're lucky to win 4-2, but they, they were in some ways. Obviously, they lost in the week to, to Real Madrid. Before that, they drew one all with Atalanta and in a game that they were quite lucky to get anything out of again. They lost to Real Madrid in the Champions League before that. Drew two all with Palmer. Drew nil-nil with Shakhtar Donetsk. You have to go back to the Genoa game on the 24th of October 
to look at a result where Inter were, were comfortable and in control. And they play Sassuolo, who obviously are second in the table behind Milan by two points, haven't lost this season, five wins, three draws, uh, were very comfortable last time out. They won 2-0 against Verona to go top of the table and, you know, are, are very much a functional side that know exactly what they are at the moment, which is the complete opposite to Inter Milan, who who seem to be struggling with their own conception, you know, with their own ideas of what it is to be Inter at the moment. You, you know, last year gave a fairly decent fight for the Scudetto up to up to the point where the season was was abandoned, at least. You know, they were very much in the hunt. And, and then you look at the Europa League run where they were excellent all the way to the final and the side only strengthened in the summer. And yet here we are looking at an Inter side that just don't really know what to do with themselves. And it's bizarre to me, Dean. Yeah, they, they were a shambles against Real Madrid. That was a game they had to win. And they never, ever looked like they believed they could win that game. There was so much arm waving in that match. Everybody looked fed up with each other. <laughs> they, they, everyone was blaming each other for every stray pass or every move that broke down. It, there was not a good feel about it at all. Conte, as usual, was just going nuts in a technical area, just barking at everyone. Um, seemed on the verge of a breakdown at times. And do you know why? I think Conte is under serious pressure now. I think that, that, I mean, I spoke to someone in Italy, actually, and I said, uh, to ask this question, and he said, what, what happens here? Like, is it, could he actually go? And if so, like, who, would, who are they even talking about? And he said he could, he could go for sure, like, probably not after this game, but in the not-too-distant future, if this continues, without doubt, the man he said that might come in as Allegri, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spin over that, because as we all know, Allegri's finished. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know that he'd retired. They didn't anyway, Google it. They didn't Google it. Back to the game. Um, Vidal obviously sent off. He was an absolute melon. Um, Hakimi was rubbish. Ashley Young was rubbish. Barella was rubbish. Yeah, but your Barella had a bad game, Sammy. Yeah, it was really bad. My Hakimi game. had a bad game. My Ashley yeah. Young had Lautaro a bad game. Got Ashley Young isn't yours. Lautaro was rubbish. Um, there, they, it was just a really, really bad night. And if that it's going to be hard to, to turn that around in a space of a few days for a fixture that is obviously not going to be easy against a side that is second in the league and, and really believe in themselves. I didn't really, I've read a piece actually about Sassuolo the other day that one of the reasons that there's a feeling that they are doing really well in these times is because there's actually a really, they don't really have much atmosphere at their matches anyway um, in normal times. So at a time when everybody else really, um, gets affected by the fact that they don't have their fans behind and they can't lift them at certain times. For Sassuolo, it's just like, oh, I didn't notice there weren't any fans. Um, I, that's what somebody who goes to the games was, was, was saying, and I, I didn't realise that was the case, to be honest. You know but, it's uh, rich when two Fulham fans are throwing shade at your club for not having enough <laughs> noise. <laughs> Interesting, oh, though. Every game, every game I remember watching in Sassuolo's home stadium pre-lockdown, to be fair, over the years this is, because I don't watch them that much. Um, they, To be fair... Thinking about it, there's barely anyone in those stadiums. Like, a map high. Yeah, there's there's no one in there. Yeah, well, I mean, look, this is that's that's part of it. I think part of it is that they're well aware of what they are. You know, SAS, they're they're very comfortable with the, the, the way they play, they're very comfortable with their style, they're not worried about 
you know, imposing themselves too much on other teams. They're like, we have enough talent to beat teams. We're quite happy to sit back against bigger sides and and, and pick them off on the break in the, in the way that they did to Napoli. They're also quite comfortable in in the fact that they have Locatelli and, and Berardi and Jeremy Bogo, who scored an absolutely lovely goal um, last weekend that we posted on our Twitter. You know, they're comfortable enough that they have the talent to break down lesser sides and the pace and quality on the break to hurt bigger sides and it makes them a very dangerous prospect because they're able to shapeshift without having to abandon any philosophies or you know being being able to to properly move away from what they are and in, in that way they're so so the complete opposite to inter they are you know a team that are comfortable within themselves in a way that inter look like they're having you know a basically a bonfire in the middle of the side every time they play football and <laughs> and the fact you know that they're being bailed out by players of serious quality whereas sas are a, a lot more of a unit and and it makes this one very tricky for conte i think and tricky for us to call oh. I, i'm going 2-0 sassuolo i think inter will score i mean at least i think, it, I think inter will win score. um but you think Inter will win? I don't well, I'm just going to continue win. saying Inter are going to win until they win. <laughs> oh, I forgot Sam had a has Sam has money on. Well, he doesn't. He has a prediction on for Inter to win the Scudetto, which is even more important. They've won that. one match in the last six. Yeah, man. Well, turns true. Out, they are only week is actually just Sam. Four games all season. They're only five points off the top, lads. It's not. Yeah. It's not even a disaster because everybody else keeps drawing. Yeah, yeah, but it's only not a disaster because everyone else is a bit rubbish as well. Yeah, but that's not that's not my fault or anyone's problem. Like it's it's just it's just it's just the way it is. It doesn't change the fact that they've not been very good. No, it doesn't matter. They're five points off the title, and the best is yet to come. Okay. Swallow two, two one. one for me. Two one to Inter. Okay. Two one to Swallow. Thank you. That's uh, all very good, which leaves us with one thing left to do, and it's time for Sam's High Spotlight. It is indeed. The scouting spotlight this week falls on Doniel Marlin, 21-year-old nice. wide forward slash striker, PSV, Eindhoven, and is the Netherlands. Because of your form- is this because of your football manager save? I can't say it wasn't an inspiration. <laughs> Although what I would say is that I have seen Donya Marlin play in real life as well, which will help. Uh, but Marlin has been about for a few years. He's got five caps for the Dutch. He's got a goal already. And I know that we have some PSV fans as patrons. So they'll know all about him as well. We have one particular patron who will be probably be fuming that I've chosen a player from his club. And it's not Noni Madweke. Right, but I'm really sorry. I've chosen Daniel Marlon because I'm Noni Madweke is a hell of a talent, though. Yeah, for sure. But I'm more familiar with Marlon and more comfortable with it. And I've picked him for a reason that I'll get to shortly. But anyway, that's that's this is this is Marlon's time to shine. He's basically just come back from about eight months out, and that is because he hurt his knee last December, just as he was really starting to find his groove. He had a minor operation. It was described as it's all I could find in the English language. Anyway, he was due to return at some point, and then the coronavirus hit. So the Eredivisie got cancelled, and that basically meant that he went from mid-December to July, August, without playing any football. Then he got back into pre-season. So what was a, a minor operation basically sent him out for what, what would ultimately be an ACL injury. And what really is quite marvellous for Marlon is he's just continued to produce. Like, he doesn't really seem to skip a beat. And you look at his numbers. We spent Wednesday talking about Haaland and Mbappe and their crazy numbers. And Marlon, again, plays in an even weaker league, fine. But breakthrough campaign 2018-19, Scored 10, assisted 4 in 968 league minutes. Followed that up with 11 goals, 2 assists in 1,200 minutes last season. Then he hurt his knee. 
And this season, he's on five goals, one assist in seven starts. I mean, there's some nice consistency to that production. And I think he's a player worth pointing out because he is essentially the modern mold of forward, which is the hybrid wide forward slash number nine, the player who seems to be quite capable and quite comfortable in both of those positions. So you're looking at Timo Werner, you're looking at Mohamed Salah, you're looking at potentially someone like Sadio Mane, you're looking at Ferran Torres, all of these these more modern 20-something players at the top of the game who are all wide players first, but also capable of moving into that number nine slot. They can make out-to-in runs, they can make in-to-out runs. And Marlon, quite quick, not overly so, quite strong, but again, not overly so. But nice soft touch, good in build-up, can drop in and pass between the lines, can receive between the lines, can stretch the defence, makes a nice variety of runs. I like the feel of him. I like the feel of him a lot. And he's that eye for goal. It really impresses me. And the production impresses me as well. So Marlon at 21, he feels like the player at PSV among a genuine litter of young talents like what they have on the books is incredible he feels like the one that is probably ready for that big breakout potentially that big move ahead of someone like Mohamedi Hataran ahead of Cody Gakpo ahead of you know Sangare who they just bought they've got loads of players guys that are going to break through soon but Marlon feels like if there's going to be one from PSV in the next eight months that moves on and we're talking 30 40 million euros I reckon it's going to be Daniel Marlon. And he is that Timo Werner-style scoring, producing wide forward that can play as a nine as well. Okie dokie. Well, if you want to watch him this weekend, PSV plays Sparta Rotterdam on Sunday evening UK. So 7 o'clock UK time. You're going to have to work out your own time zones for that one, I'm afraid. Otherwise, we'll be here all the afternoon. But um, yeah, they. I mean, the the top of the Eredivisie is, is very interesting. You know, Ajax are top on 24 points. Vitesse on 22 Feyenoord on 21 and PSV on 20. You know, every all of them, aside from Feyenoord, who haven't lost, everybody's lost once. You know, there's a lot of a lot of goals and a lot of games going on here. It looks like there would genuinely be a, a, a half decent race, I think, at the top of uh, the top of the table this year. Four points between the top four is a it's a nice little setup for for a potentially exciting end of the season so i mean ajax haven't had it all their own way have they recently and psv have been have been very impressive they're they're leaning on this 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 young crop and this young crop looked really good spearheaded by marlon there you are if you want to watch him then uh we'd recommend it because all of all of sam's breakout stars so far have have already broken out and i've now had 50 million pound moved so fair play to them it's been (laughs) it's been an incredible spotlight this really um no but it has been you have you have pulled up some good some interesting names sam and we have caught the eye of some interesting talents haven't we so it's been it's been fun Uh, and with that that's pretty much all we've got from today so all that's left for me to do is to say thank you very much to Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much, Sam Ty. Cheers, buddy. I've been Jack Collins. Remember to enter the competition. All you have to do is take a screenshot of a review you leave us, preferably on iTunes. But if you can't, if you don't use iTunes, then we could probably make some other bits and bobs happen. You can uh, you can send us a thing for for what you what you've managed to do for us, and and then put it on your Instagram story or Twitter. Tag us in it, and we'll pick a winner to win the bundle, which includes a signed picture of dean jones which is basically all you really want i'm sure Um, thank you for everybody for listening this week we hope you've enjoyed the patreon content being free the link obviously to join our patreon is at the bottom of this description and it's like this every week we have loads of fun every single week talking about everything that happens the weekend on a monday and everything is gonna happen on a friday we look back at the european games as well and and that scouting spotlight which uh, sam shines the lights on the the brightest dance in europe so you can be ahead of your mates down the pub 
uh, and basically show off that you've been you're well ahead of the curve. Um, so thank you for listening. We appreciate you, and we'll see you next week, Rack Squad. Take it easy. Peace. Fair play and fair value. It's what playing at William Hill is all about. William Hill. It's who you play with. Gamble responsibly. 